Welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. This episode is brought to you by Lightspeed Venture Partners. Lightspeed is a globally leading venture capital firm with over $29 billion in capital under management and more than 500 investments across the US, Europe, and Asia. With its dedicated gaming practice, Lightspeed Gaming, the firm is investing from over $7 billion in early and growth stage capital, making it by far the largest fund focused on gaming and interactive technology. Lightspeed's team combines deep expertise in gaming with a global multi-stage investment platform and a culture that truly puts founders first. Selected investments include Epic Games, Snap, and Stability AI, as well as game designers and producers who led the creation of titles like Fortnite, Call of Duty, League of Legends, Valorant, StarCraft II, and many more. For more information, simply go to gaming.lsvp.com or check out the details in the show notes. And with that, Let's jump into the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Novik Roundtable. I'm your host, Devin Becker. And with me, I have two excellent and actually pretty recent guests that you're getting to see again here. We got Matt back on from last week, making the rounds again. And Dave, who you've probably seen quite a few times lately, which is always fantastic to see him as well. How are you guys doing? Recovering from a cold, but otherwise doing all right. Rough, rough. Well, good luck with that. (laughs) It's that time of year. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of people are also going through that as well. So hopefully they could just listen while they recover. A lot of a lot of great topics today as well. I think we have a lot of interesting like news going into uh, winter. Surprisingly, starting with the one that I think a lot of people probably have heard about around GTA Six. We kind of teased it before when we heard like the rumors, and now it's out. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Hybrid casual, which of course we've hit on quite a few times. We got some nice numbers to talk about around that, and then Activision Blizzard. Uh, you know. Coming up with some details in the Epic trial, I think are, are always fun to see those leaks, right? I'm glad these lawsuits exist just for that. Some some cool numbers around the African game industry, which I think, you know, gets attention now and then, but probably not a lot as much as like something like China did. So we'll dig into those a little bit. Why don't we just start with the, uh, the one on everyone's mind, which is the GTA 6 trailer leaks, essentially. Yes, that's that's kind of the big news in the industry these la- last couple of days, right? Is the Grand Theft Auto 6 trailer ha- was first leaked a day ahead of time uh, and then it was officially released shortly thereafter and it's you know as expected is just doing crazy numbers on YouTube the last number I saw which is I'm sure outdated by now 60 million plus views in 12 hours and they're expecting that it's going to overtake the 96.8 million views that GTA 5's trailer has and it's going to do so in probably a couple of days. So, you know, huge game, reportedly one to two billion expected to release in 2025, went sometime in 2025 on Xbox and PlayStation. No word on a PC release yet. That's the big news. And it sounds like uh, maybe, Devin, you can jump in here that the analysts are debating whether this is going to land in the fiscal year 25 or the fiscal year 26. We don't know. They've only told us 2025, the year. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Yeah, that's the problem when they don't line up the fiscal years with the actual calendar years, right? Is And the only reason it like matters, I think, is just because Take-Two, you know, obviously they have other properties and everything's going on, but this is like the biggest thing that's going to hit their their earnings, like by far. I mean, assuming it's not a total flop dud cyberpunk release, it should be a pretty, pretty big deal, just judging by the trailer numbers alone, as you mentioned. I would anticipate like, obviously, Take-Two would probably like it, you know, earlier than later, but as we know, these things get delayed, especially given like a lot of games lately. I don't think we end up seeing it with a 2026 release, but I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up actually on the fiscal year 2026 calendar. And, you know, notable for a number of reasons. The the trailer is, um, for the American listeners, extremely Florida. Obviously, the setting is is Vice City, which is supposed to be, be Miami. A lot of references to the previous Vice City game. Two protagonists this time, including the first female protagonist. So I think it'll be interesting, but I think, Dave, I interrupted you. You were going to say something. 
No, no. I was going to say that I'm sure those numbers certainly will surpass the GTA 5 numbers really quickly, especially as you have people like myself watching the trailer numerous times. The amount of detail that they've got inside that world is is stunning. I'm, you know, obviously along with hundreds of other millions of players looking forward to uh, looking forward to coming out and seeing more more about it. And with stuff leaking prior to this, right, which is kind of what pushed the trailer out. I got to imagine we're going to get more leaks you know, as the hackers are going to be targeting them. Other people like supposedly, you know, kids of people that work at Rockstar or whatever, you know, people claiming that at least. I got to imagine we'll see because it doesn't really show a lot in the trailer, right? It, it doesn't show gameplay. For all we know, everything there is cutscenes. We don't really know because, I mean, obviously the game has good graphics. Like, there's no doubt it will. So you can't really tell. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they certainly will be a target. Uh, and continue to be a target, uh, you know, being the person to be able to post the, some of the first live gameplay footage for GTA 6, I'm sure will, you know, gain some notoriety for that person, which is unfortunate because, you know, as a company, hopefully you're able to, you know, show stuff off when you're ready to show things off. You know, everyone likes to show things off in the best light they possibly can. And uh, yeah, so I can imagine the frustration on the on the part of Take-Two and the Rockstar teams. Yeah, I, I agree that it probably will end up being fiscal year 26 when it actually kicks in. You know, uh, the the teams are known for jamming as much as they possibly can into the into the games and then trying to make sure that's performant afterwards. And, you know, if the game, if the, the, the real-time game world is anywhere near as detailed or <laughs> uh, complex as what's being shown inside the trailer, They've crammed a lot of stuff in there, and they're going to be spending a lot of time trying to trying to optimize it in order to make sure that it's uh, performant. But uh, yeah, I think it's uh, important to remember that this is like the first major headline in what's going to be a multi-year, if not decade-plus, you know, life cycle for this game. Obviously, we mentioned the huge budget, and if you look at the last game, GTA Five, it's had a what like a thirteen-plus year life cycle is still going strong and you know not too long ago rockstar acquired cfx re which is the company that does 5m and the no pixel like role-playing mods so they brought that in-house presumably they're going to be looking to integrate that into their titles moving forward we already mentioned it's not on pc yet but it's going to get there the mods are going to come the role-playing the streaming the uh, live service like all this stuff is going to happen and this is just the first step. So I'm excited to see how it plays out. The nice thing is like GTA 5 was like a big step in a different direction, right? In terms of the live service stuff, the full online play. And like that was a huge risk at the time. Now they have like, as you said, like 13 years of learning of live service, of dealing with mod hackers and all this stuff. So in theory, if everything goes perfect, this should be like far better in that sense, yeah. right? Because they they are going off on the right foot. They know how to launch it. They know what stuff people were actually interested in playing. As you mentioned, picking up the role playing uh, teams because people just got really into that. And so I would imagine that it has a higher chance of like being incorporated early on. The, the question is like, you know, so the, with the PC release, with something like this where they're going to be jamming just to try and like hit their release date schedule, which I imagine like they'll get closer to actually pinning down you know, maybe a month or at least a quarter, maybe sometime into next year as they start teasing it out. And that starts to become even more of a crunch at the end. So I would imagine they'll delay the PC like until they feel confident because we've seen so many PC ports, including GTA 5, that come over and are just like subpar. Like so many of them that come over like on initial release, they run poorly. And then like, the amount of people too, like trying to even run like that are running uh, GTA 5 on Steam Deck. You're gonna you're gonna want a GTA six that can run on Steam Deck because by 2025, you know, there'll be a lot of owners of the Steam Deck, hopefully. They've got Valve has time to ramp that up. So I, I mean one one would hope, right? Like obviously that could be a, a bit of a a seat warmer, a game like that, but it's it's one of those things where I hope they get the release right with the with the, especially with the PC version, because that's where it starts to expand out like what people could do, as you said, with mods and things like that, where like that's part of why that game has like lived as long as it has, but it'll be interesting to see if they, if they take new approaches, that's what we don't know. Right. Like, as I mentioned, like with five, they took like, it was a very different thing than they'd done before. I can't imagine they're just going to be like, well, we'll just repeat that for six with a new story. So there's going to be new things. Uh, and as you guys said, hopefully we'll just, you know, get trickles of more information as time goes on into next year. Obviously they don't need to tease a lot more 
this year it was more just kind of like let's get the hype train rolling so i don't know i don't know when we'll see more but i imagine you know as we start rolling into like e3 type season obviously we don't have e3 anymore at the moment but those type seasons you know we'll probably hear more hopefully have a bit more to chew on maybe some some actual gameplay we can get into but in terms of gameplay evolving and actually getting better hopefully or at least getting deeper hybrid casual the topic that we've uh, topped on a few times actually has some numbers to back up whether it's working or not absolutely sensor tower has put a report on the world you know the state of the nation for hybrid casual games and what they found is that it certainly is a, a more of a bright light than some other areas inside the mobile industry. It's seen its revenues increase by 30% this year, probably looking at topping $2.1 billion by the end of this year. And, you know, this is, and it's been significant growth as a category over uh, the last couple of years. So 30% growth rate this year. Previous year is actually a 60% growth rate as it reached $1.6 billion at the end of 2022. So as, as a genre, overall genre, it certainly has been doing well. The areas where it's been most significant in terms of the increases have been in the, the action-based games, as well as uh, some of the puzzle hybrid titles. So where you're seeing, where you may have, you know, during the, the hyper-casual series or time, you know, simple gunplay, but now being wrapped in more of a, a casual style wrapper to help with the retention and giving those opportunities for, for players to spend. You know, if you look at, you know, the, the company where one of their senior execs was very famous for saying that hyper casual was dead, Voodoo. So a French developer, they've done a, a very large shift from hyper casual, which is where they started into the hybrid casual model. And apparently they've seen a 250% increase in revenue. So I think if you if you ask Voodoo, yes, hybrid casual is doing very, very well. Thank you. And the, it was the right choice for them. And uh, even if you look at you know specific markets, the, this particular report put together by Sensor Tower, uh, there was a lot of a lot of focus on uh, on the Chinese market. And if you looked at the the top 30 mobile revenue earners. They've shifted from about 20% hybrid casual in terms of revenue up to 43% in 2023. So uh, in you know definitely in some markets, the hybrid casual genre, if you want to call it, is the genre considering it's a, a large number of different types of games built inside there, but or maybe the hybrid casual business model is certainly doing well inside inside a lot of the markets. The question will still be, you know, are we able to continue that level of growth in that style of game? I expect that it will start to slow down. You know, you know, basically the the growth revenue, the revenue growth halved between last year and this year, but do expect that it will continue as people get a little bit, you know, more familiar, get those best practices in place for for building up the the hybrid casual titles. Again, you know, you're you have the fortunate side when you're building them, you're not necessarily building a lot of content to a high fidelity, so hopefully your costs are still fairly low for the title, but you're giving the players an opportunity to actually spend and, and not just counting on the ad revenue in order to help sustain the titles. It'll be interesting to see as, as things move along. Um, it was also interesting to see, you know, the the action-based titles. Those are the, a lot of the titles that I enjoy playing inside the, the hybrid casual space. It'll be interesting to see how those continue to do well, not just, the, you know, the, oh, now I'm blanking on titles. <laughs> yeah. Not from there's a wide variety of different types of action titles from the you know the straight up shooters to the overtops. I think they'll they'll continue to do well. So it'll be interesting to see how the the revenue increase happens across 2024. A couple of questions and like following up on this, and I'm not sure how much detail Sensor Tower went into to be able to answer these things. But like for for one thing, like where the line is kind of drawn between hyper casual, hybrid casual, and casual, because I feel like it was it was pretty easy to tell the difference between casual and hyper casual mostly because hyper casual was so far in the extreme and it's like as it edges over like at what point is it not just casual with like like lighter mechanics or more action arcade driven mechanics right and i and maybe that's the distinction is like you you throw in the the action arcade kind of stuff into a game that like a casual game would normally be like a puzzle or solitaire or whatever and, and suddenly that's hybrid casual now and the other question i guess is you know are these like new titles that like they're developing and they're developing using kind of the same 
ideas or is it where like, let's go ahead and strap better retention mechanics, better casual stuff on top of existing ones. I mean, obviously Voodoo had a pretty big library of, of hyper casual games that could have done this too, for example, but I, I'm, and I'm curious too, like on that overlap of like, you, you mentioned the the cost and I mean, are they just still using the same mentality? Let's just prototype the crap out of these real quick, see what works and then start figuring out the retention or I, I mean, I'm not yeah. sure how much they went into, but not so much from the report, but just from, um, combination of my own observation and speaking with various groups. So a definition of hybrid casual. Yeah, there isn't a really solid one across the industry. I think if you basically look at the definition that I generally go with is if you looked at the gameplay, the art style, and it looks and feels still fairly hyper casual, but then you've got the the meta, the wrapper, the the ability to have that progression mechanic built in on top of that. Then you start drifting into the hybrid casual space. So is there, is there any specific games you could point to that would be like this is obviously hybrid casual? Like you could point to this one as a one that people could understand from, like as an example. Uh, I know yeah, it might be hard couple, to name one. Now is I'm trying Arturo to remember. kind of the classic example or like Survivor IO? Those are like hybrid casual, right? Yeah, Survivor IO would definitely be one. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the names of a, a couple of shooters that are recently done by Voodoo. One of them was a submarine title where the graphics were a little bit, you know, they're better than the line drawn, you know, stick figure character graphics, but there isn't a lot of variety to them. But there's certainly a, a level of progression built inside the game. You know, the, you have, uh, you know, missions and events built into the games that are beyond the just, you know, survive the next level or, you know, collect 100 balls and you pass the next level type of progression mechanics. Um, yeah, I really wish I had my list of hybrid casual games in front of me. But Yeah, and I don't think there's like a, you can't just like browse by that category, right? In the app store, you can't just be like, oh, let's filter by it. hybrid. I mean, maybe eventually, but... You know, there are the categories, it's like you got to go like arcade, maybe this point or something like that. Yeah. Arcade certainly has a lot of them that fall in, especially as you look at the the action-based games, certainly fall into those categories. Uh, some of them fall under the shooter categories right now. In terms of how, uh, if they're new games or, or older games that have wrappers, I think early on, they probably, they, in many cases, were games that were tested out as uh, hyper-casual games and then had progression mechanics built around them added to them the games that i'm seeing now coming in are still being tested very early on so still you know probably still could be considered more hyper casual than full hybrid casual and you know so very quickly trying to get a number of games out in the market the way that voodoo says they do it you know they've got they test you know hundreds of very quick almost prototype level versions of games, find the ones that do really well, and then focus on them and build them out into full hybrid casual games. But I think games are being developed now with the, the hybrid casual model in mind versus just doing a hyper casual and then trying to bolt on more progression mechanics or opportunities for people to spend. It makes sense. I mean, obviously, hyper casual is getting a lot more expensive to train do the UA4 and all that stuff, right? So you got to you got to hold on to the people while you can, as long as you can. And, and Matt mentioned also like some of the ones like the heavy ones like Survivor.io and stuff where that was, I mean, technically that was a casual-ish game like uh, Vampire Survivors. I don't know if you put that in the, the hyper-casual side or the casual side, obviously it wasn't a mobile game first, but they really strapped a whole bunch of like more casual style mechanics on top of it. So maybe that's like also, as Matt mentioned, a good example in that sense of bolting kind of on to this one. But uh, yeah. was you mentioned Voodoo being in there. Was was Habby a big part of that as well? Because I, I believe Survivor.io did pretty well financially. I believe so. I, I mean, I couldn't tell you the numbers off the top of my head, but I do believe that it's done well. I know it's certainly spawned a number of uh, copycats <laughs> over the last little while to kind of show how successful it's done. Yeah, I don't I don't have any particular numbers on a game by game basis in front of me. Hopefully get into those details uh, at some point on these reports, just to get an idea of what's working right in this market. If it's being that successful, then obviously people need to know, like, well, what could we copy? That's what it comes down to, as you just <laughs> mentioned. Like, who who do we look at to start copying from? And obviously, you know, copying Survivor.io, you're like, what, copying a copy at that point? So it's, I don't think that really matters that much. 
Right, right exactly. So, yeah, Vampire Survivors, yeah, I also wasn't wholly original either. But that's, that's how the mobile industry especially goes, so not a huge surprise there. Any thoughts on the uh, hyper-casual market there, Matt? I don't think I have anything to add. I think you, you summed it up pretty well. Well, we'll add some more stuff next time for retention purposes. But uh, yeah, in the meantime, I, for podcast retention purposes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I think it's certainly worth going into a, a deep dive rather than just a quick look at things. Yeah. But I mean, it's good for people to know that there is definitely some something working there, right? It's not just like hyper casual is dead. So what do we do next? It's definitely like, all right, these things where we're starting to adapt to the market, at least in terms of retention and like giving a little more depth than just flip the bottle. It's probably a good idea. So, I mean, that's a good thing, right? Like, obviously, I think mobile developers probably should put a little more into it. Obviously, yeah. like some of those games were just too shallow to, to really support that. But I'm sure we'll see this evolve and then we'll just end up back at the casual market again and there won't be hybrid casual anymore. We'll see. <laughs> well, I mean, we'll see like if it's just also casual starts moving the other way, right? Where they start looking for ways to make casual style games have a bit more approachability or ease of just jumping into and just trying stuff out. As well, a, I think, like onboarding? I think as you look at the casual games now, they are becoming more and more complex. They are becoming more and more costly to build. Almost mid-core um, sometimes. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, as an example, you know, Royal Kingdom, um, that is a game that if you compare, you know, even just the basic match three games that come out today versus match three when it first started. The fidelity of the graphics, the complexity of the gameplay, the number of gameplay modes they have, the how progression is built overall, you know, it it is a lot bigger. The basic table stakes just to try and release a match three is so much for, you know, so much far beyond what it was, you know, 10 years ago. If you think of Candy Crush when it first released. You know, it's a, a lot more basic game than than what games are coming out today in terms of the match three side. I guess it always makes me wonder too, or like, is is the audience size just growing and needing these more different levels of complexity, or are we actually training the audience to want more or less complexity as they go and just have like a variety on their phone? It's it'll be interesting to see. Like, obviously, you'd have to track like individual cohorts to kind of see that, but. It does, it, you know, obviously remember when like mobile first came out, like the, just the different demographics have like shifted over time. And it's interesting to see the market kind of reflect that. And yep. obviously we've, yep. we've got more countries involved, more developers involved, stuff like that. And it's still all provided for free. <laughs> for free. Wink, wink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <clears throat> Speaking of things for free, hopefully Fortnite and Lego have an interesting thing going on here, but Lego is not known for being good at being free. So I'm really curious where this is going. Well, uh, a quick update here. The, this is kind of like the, cul- the culmination of a, a series of announcements that happened maybe a year or two ago. If you recall, April of last year, Epic Games and Lego announced that they were going to be working together to build, I quote, a space in the metaverse that's fun, entertaining, and made for kids and families. I don't know if they're still on their metaverse path, but the news the other day is that they're releasing a survival crafting game in Fortnite with a Lego theme. And you can watch the trailer. It looks looks pretty interesting. Seems to really lean into the building mechanic of Fortnite. Definitely has notes of Minecraft in terms of like the survival and the digging and, you know, building your little structures and whatnot. So, you know, I, I think there's some interesting, what's the word? It's sort of the, the competition is heating up, let's say, between Fortnite and Minecraft and Roblox. And it's definitely a play in that direction. Younger audiences, uh, similar types of games. Now, look, this is just a trailer. It hasn't shown any gameplay, but I'm I'm sort of projecting based off what they've shown in the trailer. I guess one thing I, I neglected to mention earlier in the like Lego and Epic partnership background is that the family office that that founded the Lego Group? It's called Kirkby. They were a part of a two billion dollar funding round last year as well. This came just a, a few days after that announcement that Lego and Epic were partnering up. And that was also done with Sony, by the way. So they have Lego and Kirkby have invested a ton of money into this partnership. And clearly they've placed their bets on Epic. We'll be interesting to see how this plays out, how popular this is given the recent sort of resurgence, let's say, in Fortnite with the OG map and the M&M experience. 
and some of the, <laughs> the other things that have been happening in that ecosystem recently. But anyways, thought this was worth mentioning as an interesting development. Yeah, the so as of the recording this podcast, it's not available yet for, for Fortnite users, but I believe will be shortly after. Uh, this gets released. But what you can do is you can take a look at you know the models in game. You can see them going through and doing their dances. You can see the you know, the accessories that are you know with the uh, with each of the uh, Lego characters inside Fortnite, and they've done a great job so far. I mean, you know, from the very very small amount that they've released to the to the players, you know, it, I, it looks good, and I'm certainly you know especially based on the the trailer, very interested to see. How well it does, but I think from at least from the, the the avatar perspective and you know what you're able to do with them and the the various pieces that you know are the accessories for the for the characters, they've done a great job. And um, you know if that level of quality carries across to the gameplay, then I think it should be very well received. Yeah. To clarify, this will be available on December seventh within Fortnite survival crafting game well i guess we'll have to see how that does hopefully we can get some kind of numbers usually you only get those of course if it does well right <laughs> no one wants to brag about bad numbers so i i mean if we if we get numbers then they're probably good but i'd be interested to see how it does mostly because lego has seemed to struggle in the past with trying to do these these minecraft kind of things they've tried to do lego worlds all the numerous ones before it and like the the big thing i think that might be interesting about this especially given uh, Epic recently kind of looking to sort of do something different with their sort of moderation team is the moderation side of things, which has been a real big struggle for Lego trying to maintain not just moderation in the sense of like protecting kids, but also brand image has been a big concern for them with their like metaverse sort of like games. And they tried and tried and tried and not really outside of like the Lego kind of like, uh, you know, Lego Star Wars and all those kind of games. I don't, I don't feel like they've hit much of a success with their kind of more open building games of different kinds. So it'd be interesting if this actually was the first thing they were like really hit it off with, or if it's just like, oh, this is a cool Fortnite event. And then the time passes and people just go back to what they were doing. Like, is this, you know, is this something that's going to open up for them? Or is this just going to open them up to, again, the old moderation problem, especially with the kind of some of the older audience in Fortnite versus Roblox? Well, and that for me actually is also the question I'm, you know, Fortnite is rated teen. Lego certainly attracts players younger than teen. What is the expectation in terms of that? Uh, you know, <laughs> are is it good? The end result just going to be you're going to bring even younger players into the Fortnite space as parents go. Hey, you know, yeah, you can play Lego. Of course, it's Lego. It's so much fun. What could go wrong? Well, that's what they want, right? Like um, Epic does at least. Yeah, oh, yeah. Epic. Roblox has has that demographic kind of locked down, and I would think Epic would want to make inroads there. Not just locked down, but Roblox has that aesthetic too, basically visually. I guess. Uh, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see like what they do in terms of content as well, because one of the things that makes Lego like as successful as it is is not their generic stuff so much. I mean, obviously that is like the backbone, right? But their licensed stuff does a lot, right? With the licensed sets that you buy, even if it's Minecraft in Lego, right? Like buying the physical sets that are some sort of property, even if you're not even being very creative, like those do pretty well. I would imagine that, I mean, I don't know this, maybe you can answer it, but I wouldn't imagine they're doing that in this, like that it's going to be probably more vanilla, maybe mixed with Fortnite stuff. I would hope like that they would take some of the Fortnite IP and Legofy it, which they've been very good at doing, you know, like uh, both through the bricks and through the movies, right? The Lego movie one and two and the Batman movies and all the other movies that they've done where they've kind of Lego fight things, including in the games that that would be an opportunity for Fortnite then to use that as kind of the, the, the pivot to appeal to the Roblox audience. That's like, Hey, this looks kind of more like Roblox, but it's Fortnite stuff in like a fun way in this like Lego game that like it kind of crosses that bridge. I, I mean, I don't know, like I would, I'd be curious what they do IP wise. I don't think we're going to see Eminem performing in the Lego Fortnite thing. Doesn't seem like a, the right audience match, but I don't know. Never know. We'll find out soon. yeah right okay i guess we'll see yeah like hopefully it's uh i mean hopefully it's a big success for lego just because i i hate seeing them struggle because you'd think they'd be the easiest fit for so many of these things if they just and maybe it's just the protecting the brand image has made them a little over corrective and maybe epic will help that but who knows epic's been trying to do a lot of different things and speaking of which 
some of those have come out in court. As now that Microsoft's not dishing out lots of secret dirt through its trials, now we get still some pseudo Microsoft dirt here through Epic's trials that continue. Yeah. So the setup here, if you recall, there was like, I guess three years ago now, Epic started this lawsuit against Apple. Now this is the one against Google. And so that's just begun, I guess. The the hearings are just beginning here and we're starting to get some leaks coming out of this. And the big one that I wanted to surface today was the news that Activision Blizzard had considered forming a Google Play competitor uh, mobile app store alongside uh, Epic Games and Supercell. So the details here are that they had two potential plans, one of which they ended up doing, which was called Project Boston. So close to my heart, of course, but this this was basically to strike a deal with Google. It's like, instead of doing our own store, we're just going to strike a deal with Google. And that deal was worth more than $100 million, which Epic is now alleging is basically evidence that Google bought off Activision Blizzard to continue its sort of app store dominance. But the other plan was uh, the one that that, um, sort of necessitated this payoff, you might say, was for Activision Blizzard to build a store in conjunction with Epic and Supercell to circumvent Google Play. It would have allowed sideloading on Android. And they had plans to do an Apple version to follow that. And the the fees were expected to be like 10 to 12% versus the 30% that exists today. And this would have started with just King Games initially, but eventually, you know, theoretically would have opened up. This is, these are the allegations, plans that were not pursued. However, this is kind of relevant because there's, there's also been recent news just a couple of days ago and, and even earlier as the Activision Microsoft trials were going on that Microsoft has interest in opening its own mobile store. Phil Spencer, <clears throat> excuse me, talked about this recently and I'm quoting here, the Xbox mobile store. It's an important part of our strategy and something we're actively working on today, not only alone, but talking to other partners who'd also like to see more choice for how they can monetize on the phone. And then he goes on to say, I don't think this is multiple years away. I think this is sooner than that. So look, I I understand why people might be skeptical that Microsoft is going to be able to pull off an app store, but like I'm inclined to take him at his word here that at least it's something they want to do and it's something that they would like to do urgently. King is a massive player, obviously, in the casual space, in the puzzle space. They've got a huge stable of games that can at least provide a foundation for an app store. And now they've got at least a, a few games from Activision Blizzard, you know, Call of Duty Mobile. They've got the new Warcraft game. They've got Hearthstone, Diablo Immortal. So look, it's not it's not the same thing as the App Store or the Google Play Store today, but it's a foundation to start with. And Judging from all the action that we've seen around web stores and progressive web apps and all these other attempts to kind of circumvent the 30% tax, there's clearly an appetite uh, for an alternative to the sort of duopoly uh, that exists in mobile app stores. What do you all think? Do you think that this is something we're going to see? Do you think that Microsoft could have some success with this? Uh, do I think that they are going to give it a shot? Yeah, I do. I think they're, they're going to try and actually launch it. Um, you know, outside of just talking about the uh, creating the store itself, Microsoft has, has stated that, you know, maybe exiting the phone business when they did was not the right thing for them to do. It certainly was not a success story for them, even though, you know, they went out and bought actual hardware manufacturers they certainly gave it a shot for a while, but never really saw any real market penetration with their devices. And I think that's going to be one of the biggest things that they end up going against is that Google Play has got their own devices. Apple has got their own devices. And so where is Microsoft going to end up inside that? Are they going to try and create a store that is similar to you know Samsung store where it's something that sits uh, you know, inside the overall Android world, but is a is a separate store from from the Google Play Store, or you know, do they revisit creating their own phones again? Which I think would be a, a huge monumental challenge for them to try and do. I think from Microsoft's perspective, you know, having their own store gives them 
even more information about their players from 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 a game just pure game player data perspective you know it's already going to be a situation where they've they're able through xbox live you know login be able to track people from mobile to console to pc you know if they build a store in on top of that that gives them even that much more data and that much more ability to you know, market their games through through to them. You know, the the Xbox Game Pass. You know, you know, even taking that and and using that as part of their mobile initiative, I think, is going to be a, an interesting strategy for them. You know, and then you've got Game Pass across PC, console, and mobile as well. Yeah, I definitely think that they will try and and, and give that a a real shot. Uh, I'm sure they'll be speaking with the with their you know their new company mates over at Activision and find out where things got to, you know, what was the appetite for other companies to, to come join them. But yeah, I think it, will, it certainly will be an attempt that they make, especially if they're able to try and move away from the, from the typical 30% and able to get into that, you know, 15 to 20% range. Here's, here's, there's like a number of problems that I think kind of prove that this idea is already dead before it starts. First was Microsoft's terrible at making digital stores. So like that's already just kind of a no-go. <laughs> like if you've ever used any digital store Microsoft's made, you were not exactly excited about the experience. But the, the thing is like, but you're talking about the appetite certainly there, but it's only from the game developer side. The consumers are like, man, if only there was another store where game developers could save money on me spending money to give them be- like more. Like no, no one's, there's no appetite for that from, from consumers. And I think the proof of that, there's, there's two solid proofs of that one on mobile specifically, a lot of people forget about the Amazon underground, Amazon app store that existed that did provide a benefit to consumers. What they did was they made normally paid apps free. And then they, per, they pay the developers out based off of playtime as a way to be like, Hey, we want people to use this alternative store. We'll actually give a benefit to these players in a way that like, is like, Oh, cool. We can convert them. As you you know probably know at this point, that did not succeed, unfortunately. And so that was like you know strike one. And the other thing is looking at the desktop environment, which I know is a different environment, but the, it's the same thing there where EA has an appetite for building Origin. You know, Activision Blizzard has an appetite for selling things through Battle.net. All these things are like great for them, but they're not really providing any benefit. And everyone just ends up on Steam. Obviously, Epic has an appetite for making their store work, and they've put a lot into that, and they. They try and do exactly like, oh, we'll give out free games as our way to convert people or other things where they're like trying to, because if they just give the developers the benefit, that doesn't trickle down to consumers as much as we'd like. I would love for for developers to be like, well, I'm only paying 15% instead of 30%, so I'll just discount all of the in-app purchases by 15% on this app store. And it's like, that just doesn't happen. Like you, you get little bonuses on like the, you know, the web stores occasionally. But even then, I feel like sometimes I see those just kind of getting cut back if they get people used to them. Because like, hey, why am I going to give away more money? Like, and it's, I don't yeah. think it's like a greed thing, but it's clearly like the motivations are just not aligned. And this is a consumer power thing. Like this is where consumers go. And if you're talking about sideloading, it's just not going to, as much as I would love to see it, and I would love to see the duopoly like actually have to compete, nothing compelling is being offered here that makes this like a viable opportunity outside of Game Pass kind of stuff. And that's the only reason I'll launch the Xbox app on Windows, let's be honest, is like to play Game Pass stuff. Like I'm not going to launch it because I'm excited to buy things from their digital store. It's like, no, I'd rather buy that from Steam, but if I could play it for, you know, for free on the Game Pass, sure, I'll launch the Xbox app. And like, that's what it comes down to. Like even Netflix getting people to get in-app, like games that normally had in-app purchases, give them away as a whole thing, similar to what Amazon Underground did, isn't going to be like, oh, wow, people are subscribing to Netflix now for these games. It's it's just not enough of a selling point because the games themselves usually change. And it's just, I don't know. I mean, unless you guys have any other good examples that would really like, uh, be like, you know, maybe this could work other than Xbox wants to do it. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you really can point to any of them right now. I think part of it is also just consumers don't necessarily want to have a whole bunch of different stores on their device to try and find the content that they're that they want. Um, you know, you're not going to go to the Google Store for this type of game, Samsung for this type of game, or or, uh, or app, Microsoft because I want to get this particular type of game. If they're all available inside one particular, you know, platform or store, then 
chances are that's probably where people will go just because it's that much easier to, you know, to be able to just go into one store and just find what you want. Well, it reminds me of the search thing, right? Where like when you search on mobile, like on a Google device, right? It will search the Play Store, depending on your settings and stuff, especially on Google phones. But obviously they're not going to index sideloaded stores, right? Unless there's a way to like shoehorn that in. It makes me think of like, you know, when you go for searching something on Roku, right? Like if you if you use a Roku smart TV where you're like, oh, I'll, I'll just use the voice search, find out what streaming service this happens to be on. Because you're not going to navigate to each one of them individually in search, right? Like yeah. that's just kind of a, a given at that point. And you're like, even typing it in is just like, oh, I don't want to type this in. I just want to search for it with my voice. Those kind of convenience things ultimately win in the end. So as you say, like people don't want to like go through all these stores as much as I would love to be like, hey, maybe I can get this game for free or save this, you know, on this. I'm going to go to like what's easiest first. And like, uh, unless Google endorses it, right? Like as, if Google can find some way to get a cut out of this, then sure, they'd be interested, right? Yeah. And if you look at it, even, you know, Samsung, who've, Certainly have a very large market share in terms of the Google or Android devices. Um, Even their store isn't, you know, as successful as I think anybody would, or anyone at Samsung would hope that it could have been. You know, they have had the ability to have the store directly on device as they ship out devices, but even still, it's, you know, really tough to, to compete against them, you know, the dominance that both yeah. Google and Apple have in their in their relative stores. I'm a Samsung uh, Galaxy user, and I just I forget that store exists. When it pushes it up, it feels annoying. Like they're just trying to push me into it, and like it's clunky. And I'm just like, why would I use this? Right? Yeah, like I actively avoid trust the Samsung there. store. <laughs> right? It's like unless I'm trying to download some weird like exclusive Samsung thing where I've got to get it from there. Like again, that's where it comes down to. Right? Like, can you force people to come here? And I think the desktop environment proved that like that's of limited appeal. I mean, Battle.net did work to an extent, right? But now, now that things are shifting, those are ending up on Steam. So like, I feel like everyone kind of gives in sooner or later. And this court case is just kind of proving that, right? Because of the payoff, right? That, that uh, supposedly happened, proving kind yeah. of they do give in. And for the big games, you know, if they've already downloaded Candy Crush from the iOS store or from Google Play, they're not going to switch over to to an Xbox store in order to get that now. So how is it, you know, how is it they're going to be able to move people from, you know, one store to another store when they're already ingrained inside a particular store is going to be a huge challenge for them. Maybe they're hoping something like Call of Duty Warzone Mobile or something, right? Would be enough of a shift. Yeah, I mean, uh, like I I share your guys' skepticism. I think it's just important to remember like if they're serious about it, this is a long-term play. And look, they have a mountain to climb and no one's saying that it's going to be easy. But I think you've both outlined some maybe like orthogonal approaches that they could take to get at this. You know, one is like the game pass angle where, you know, we could you could craft an argument, let's say. I'm sure someone on their strategy team has done this where it's like, hey, look, the games industry is going increasingly cross-platform. We've got this Game Pass, like Xbox cloud gaming thing where we can start to get some more like HD console-like experiences on phones and we can distribute those through our Xbox mobile store. Plus we'll have this, you know, arsenal of King and Activision Blizzard games that we can throw on there as well. We've got our Microsoft Solitaire collection. It'll be great. You know, another another um, argument is like the web store angle where like, um, you know, I, I knew you mentioned, Devin, like the benefits don't necessarily, they're not necessarily consumer benefits they're more developer benefits. But I think for heavy spenders, there is an appeal there for some of the games that they're really into. Like they do pass on some of these discounts to, to players. Again, these are these are edge cases, let's say, but they have to establish a foothold somewhere and expand from there. You know, for that, from their perspective, I think there's, there's something to be said for just like throwing stones at Apple and Google, which is one of the two of their major competitors. And even if it doesn't necessarily lead to gains immediately, it, it leads to losses for them. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that they're going to go ahead and do it. I don't think that, you know, anything that we've outlined will stop them for, from actually giving it a go. I think the, the benefit for what they will receive out of it is something that Microsoft will will say, yeah, yeah, it is going to be hard for us to move players over. It is going to be hard for us to 
get you know the the breadth of of apps into the store. It's going to take time, but I think overall it's certainly worthwhile for Microsoft for, for themselves in order to to undertake the. I guess they did struggle with issues with trying to get like say for example their cloud gaming systems in through app stores and that whole issue with like Apple trying to force them to like list it as individual games and just like all those things they've gone through I could I could understand there being some serious motivation from that just because they put a lot of eggs in the basket and as you say Matt like if they want to do it they'll do it and I think that the one proof of that is Xbox itself which was like hey we know this is probably a serious uphill climb against PlayStation we're just going to we're going to throw money at it till it works. Yeah. And it, that, that's the question is like we, you you mentioned this with them getting out of mobile maybe regretting that. So it's like does this end up a situation where they go we're not we're just not going to back down. And you know, we've seen them like try and do that with tablets, right? Where they just tried and tried and tried and then tried again later and they like they found one niche like the surface that's managed to work. And so maybe it's like maybe it's one of the kind of situations maybe Xbox Game Pass is that the problem is just like a lot of the games they've scooped up they're just not mobile games, right? It's just tons yeah, of yeah, like yeah. console PC games. And like, obviously if they could shift people to the cloud, well then that's cool. That kind of works, right? Because then it doesn't matter. But then you've got, you know, that whole set of can of worms. So obviously, hey, if they could port Starfield and full on Call of Duty and everything else over to mobile and, you know, Blizzard can actually learn how to like develop solid mobile games that like last for a long time, then there, there might be some potential there. You, you know, they might find some interesting sort of... Uh the enemy of my enemy is my friend in terms of like Netflix, Epic Games, Roblox, like companies. Amazon. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like companies that like, you know, they've sort of been grandfathered into this app store rule, um, but they might, you know, find a more flexible regulatory environment on an alternative app store with the backing of Microsoft. You could imagine like Fortnite coming back to mobile for, for example, I don't know, I'm speculating, but like they might find some right. very powerful allies that have interest in breaking up the Google and Apple app stores by supporting Microsoft, as mm-hmm. weird as that sounds. I mean, that's what this lawsuit was opening up, right? That 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 leak was basically showing exactly that, like that there was interest in forming this sort of like uh, opposition thing. The hard part is like, yeah, you could get sideloading going on Android, but what do you do about iOS? Like, obviously there's some forcing, like trying to happen, but like, Let's be honest, it's, all, it's not going to happen in the U.S. anytime soon, right? Like we might get like some sliver of a crack in maybe the EU or I don't know Brazil's actually done a good job of like cracking some of that. You know, like one of those other countries might be able to like chip at it. But that that's it's really and that's the hard part is like if you just get that going on Android, is that really enough to justify having this like giant cartel of opposition trying to do something about it if you can't realistically i mean if if they're all loading at via html5 stuff and not having to go through an app store cool like then they don't have to worry about it but it just feels like that's that's the real struggle is unless say governments or you know regulators of some kind can force apple to really kind of like go fine you guys can do it like this one alternative store can exist but only because like everyone hates us and they're all like part of this then all right we'll allow it like that's maybe, maybe there's something there. Yeah, that's the that's the issue of them not having their own device in order to be able to sort of anchor everything that, you know, it is possible for them to create something that allows them to go on to Android devices. Google could change the rules. And then all of a sudden they're not able to do sideloading to the same, you know, with the same methodology and they have to then change, you know, Microsoft would then have to react to what Google was doing. It is. Yeah. I, I do think that it will be more challenging and, you know, a little bit, the, the irony meter will certainly go up if Microsoft is able to, you know, break the, the hold that Google and Apple have in terms of pricing fees by using their own devices to have a Microsoft store on them. Um, well, I guess maybe we'll wait to see if Microsoft announces a Surface Pocket or something as a, as a way to move back into that space. I mean, ARM stuff is getting pretty strong. Like a lot of mobile processors are getting pretty crazy. So there's the possibility they start to look at the mobile space, not as the typical mobile space, but as a smaller PC form factor like they were trying to in the past. And maybe there's like the actual opportunity for that to exist now. Uh, I mean, there was there was definitely some cool things they did with previous Microsoft phones. It wasn't like a complete failure. It just didn't have the market traction. And so, yeah, maybe maybe if they line up enough ducks in a row, and as Matt said, they get a whole bunch of allies 
maybe this is something that could happen. I just think uh, there's a lot of roadblocks given what's gone on in the past, but I would be against if this, if they could make this work, you know, please. I, we, do, we don't need this duopoly forever as much as it's like, it, you know, it's funny. It was the Mac versus PC world. And now it's on mobile. It's the Mac versus Google world. And when Google isn't even like a PC company, they're like, you know, the, the cloud, the web. So it's, it's kind of interesting how that shifted. But uh, in terms of like border shifting and uh, different demographics, things like that going out there, Africa has been kind of interesting, especially in the mobile space. A new report has, has come out based on the Africa games industry. And gamesindustry.biz got an early look at it. I uh, was able to, to grab some of the, the, the bits and pieces from it and been sharing that out. It was produced by a, a Nigerian-based game studio, Malio Games. And what they were looking at was what is the industry today inside Africa? And, you know, where is it going? What's it comprised of? You know, what types of games are, are being made? What platforms are being supported? And so forth. And the end result was, you know, a fairly comprehensive, fairly high level look at the African games industries. For those that are not familiar, in general, the, the MENA region or uh, the Middle East and, and Africa represents about 4%. Uh, of revenue across the uh, global games industry, but it is also a growing space. There are about 200 million gamers in Africa. And as the industry infrastructure increases, then we're seeing more and more players inside the space. The largest, the region that has the most players is, is across the sub-Saharan uh, portion of Africa. There are about 186 million. And if you look back, even as uh, early as 2015, there's uh, 77 million. So you can see, uh, you know, by the time that we reach, you know, 2025 or, or 10 years after that 77 million, it could be, uh, you know, almost a tripling in terms of numbers of gamers. So certainly is a, a fast growing region. And most of them are actually focused on mobile. So about 95% of the playing population is focused on mobile, and you can certainly see that in the the, um, the companies that are, are that are coming up right now in terms of what their focus is. One company that's certainly been seeing uh, a, a lot of uh, growth over the last little while is Carry First, which is based out of uh, South Africa. They've been getting a lot of partnerships with North American and European publishers and, and bringing titles into the African region. When it so they they certainly have the numbers of players inside the region. I think one of the challenges that you know some North American or European publishers and developers would see is probably in terms of what the average spend is from the players. South African players spent the most at about twelve dollars US per year, and even in some of the larger markets such as Nigeria, Kenya, Ethiopia, Ghana. You know, the, the average spend is a lot less in between 2 and $5 per user per year. So the top five markets were identified as South Africa. And this is in, in Africa specifically versus the full MENA region. But in Africa specifically, South Africa is the number one market in terms of revenue, just shy of $290 million. Nigeria second at about $185 million, followed by Ghana, Kenya, and Ethiopia. But Africa as a whole, is certainly on track to spend more than a billion dollars come 2024. And in terms of population, so where are these players? Nigeria ends up taking the lead in terms of the number of players market-wise. So Nigeria is approximately 46 million. South Africa was about 24 million. Ethiopia, about 15 million. And Kenya and Ghana, uh, Ghana followed up by that. There certainly is you know, a large number of players there monetization being, I think, one of the, the, the question marks, you know, are we actually going to see an increase in the amount of, um, in the amount per player? Um, localization is, is certainly a challenge across uh, Africa. It's been identified that, you know, English and French is, are, are common languages, but there are about 3,000 distinct ethnic groups and more than 2,000 languages spoken across Africa. So, you know, trying to make sure you've got the right mix in terms of localization as you bring that across is certainly a challenge. And then if you look at, you know, outside of localization, another challenge is payment methods. So I think one of the things that, you know, working with a company such as Carry First gives you the, the opportunity is to, they have a good understanding of what payment looks like. 
know, it's not like in North America or in Europe where it's, you know, credit cards provided through the App Store or the iOS Store. It is, or through the Play Store, it is a wide variety of different types of payment methods. And then if you look at, and I think another reason for, (coughs) pardon me, uh, another reason for uh, optimism inside the space is that it's a very, very young population. So the African population is one that's growing up with mobile devices in hand. I think the median age is uh, just shy of 20 years old in Africa versus uh, just over 30 years old uh, from the global median. (coughs) Pardon me. So it's it's certainly a, an area, a region that has the potential for a large amount of population growth. As the infrastructure comes into play, a lot more opportunities for people to have play, you know, game playing devices in hand. And they did point out that you know one of the largest challenges at this point is the infrastructure in terms of having viable access to the internet. Dave, I wonder if you maybe see some parallels here, or or Devin as well, like to other sort of up and coming success stories like India or Indonesia or other markets that, you know, they tend to be younger, huge population centers expected to continue growing, appetite for games. The the article that you're referencing, Dave, you know, talks a little bit about the development of homegrown studios in Africa. And that's something we've seen in India as well. I, I just wonder if, if you all are seeing any parallels there. And, and if so, like, what are the what are the important differences? Is it just a difference of timing where some of the African markets are, you know, a few years behind, let's say India and Southeast Asia, or, you know, you mentioned infrastructure and internet access, Dave, like, are there other things like that that are holding these economies back from the sort of uh, momentum that we're seeing in India, Southeast Asia and other markets? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's one of those things where I feel like whenever there's a country coming up that's willing to spend money on mobile games, everyone's, you know, eyes perk up and like, oh, you know, maybe we should move into that market, right? And there's always like that opportunity potentially, right? But it's it's tricky with like a, a entire like huge continent that isn't really games first until recently. And that's the tricky part. Like, so I remember I was talking to people in Korea during, back when Korea Blockchain Week happened to, in terms of trying to just understand that market there. One of the interesting insights that, that came up was, you know, I was looking at like, uh, why do all the PC banks exist, which are like the, you know, the internet cafes and, and, and things like that. And one of the things that was brought up was that they, they didn't really get into games, video games, all that much in their country until kind of post console to an extent, right? Where console wasn't the dominant thing. So they didn't really have like a console phase. They kind of got in on the like sort of internet connected, like online games and mobile and things like that. So like where your country kind of jumps in, I think affects a little bit like those sorts of things. Obviously, mobile is where they can jump in, right? You're not going to see PC games blowing up in that country. You're not going to see console games blowing up. And it's, you know, then you have the struggles like, oh, we've got to localize this with a billion different languages. What I what I would be interested in is when we, you know, when everyone was going for China, for example, right? You know, we had the localization stuff we had to deal with, like not just in terms of language, but culture, right? They, they found like the better culture fit, the better for monetization, you know, let's use Chinese mythical heroes instead of, you know, gods from Olympus or something, things like that. But there was the the other huge elephant in the room there, which was the Chinese government was a part of that. So what I wonder here is like, is there any influence or interference or anything from broader African governments that restrict this? Or is this kind of open and, and everyone just kind of be like, well, how do we just get in there as soon as possible before there's any kind of interference? I mean, obviously there might be on, say, the payment rail side, things like that. And that would be the big hurdle to overcome besides all the other stuff you mentioned is like, well, what's the big thing that would really slow this down? I mean, India ran into struggles too, right? Where they had game companies, especially Chinese game companies, starting to just get kind of removed from the, the, the marketplace. And so governments aren't always super friendly to this, especially if it starts doing really well. They start either looking at it as an opportunity to be involved in a way that benefits them or to restrict it and curb it for different reasons. And I don't think Africa is like, totally unified the way, say, China is, for example, or maybe even India. Yeah. Actually, there is one thing I would like to point out, which I also did find an interesting tidbit. When it came to the actual developers themselves, I thought that, you know, because the majority of revenue was actually in mobile, that that's where the majority of effort would actually be. It turns out that there's a large overlap between mobile and PC development. And a lot of companies, when they build a game, they build mobile and PC at the same time. So 78% of 
developers were working on mobile titles, but 70% said they were making PC games. So there's actually a fair amount of overlap between those two. About There was about 18% developed for consoles and 1% developing games for the Switch. I mean, but is some of it trying to develop did. for other countries? Or <clears throat> like, is it for local only people? No, it's for, in some cases, other countries. Do keep in mind that like, there are... There are multinational companies that do have branches inside Africa. So if you think of Ubisoft, Monaco for a a number of years, or a Moroccan developer. Um, But but no, the the majority of developers actually do develop both mobile and PC. Um, In terms of, you know, I I definitely agree that because the, 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 the population is growing up with mobile devices being their prime connection to gameplay. But yes, that is where a lot of the the players will be in and the studios will be developing for that. I don't have that insight in terms of, you know, what the, the equivalent of the internet cafe is in Africa, you know, why there is such a strong development in the, on the PC side of things and something I'm actually very interested in terms of learning. I do think that we probably are looking at, you know, it's the the equivalency of being a few as, as an overall marketplace, a few years behind in terms of where India is, where you know a number of other Southeast Asia company or countries are, but not necessarily because they haven't had the history. Like the, one of the things they called out was sort of like the the history of where you know when game development was occurring inside Africa. They've had developers there since the the mid nineties. So it's not like it's something new to to the continent, but the the infrastructure is something certainly that needs to catch up for a number of the areas. Agree that you know the political lands, landscape is certainly fractured across the 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 region. Certainly, the different levels in terms of social freedoms, in terms of what types of games people are able to play, what's available for the public. But uh, I do think that, you know, as the, as the infrastructure broadens across Africa, we'll see that many more players uh, inside the region. As the, you know, uh, as the GDP increases between the countries and we'll see increased spends uh, inside the games, you know, I think there's the, the understanding of when, it, when bringing products to different markets, not just to Africa, but to, you know, Southeast Asia, South America, all the different regions that we're looking at. It's not just localization, but it's culturalization. It's also payment methods. It's, you know, there are a lot of things to, to keep in mind. And I think that as, as the, 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 the African national companies grow and they gain more experience and, you know, continue to make great games for the, for the African continent as they start exporting them further out into the rest of the world i think we'll we'll start to get a lot more recognition for the for the talent that's there cool well i mean it sounds like a lot of research left to be done honestly in terms of actually figuring out that market yeah i i agree but i think it is you know as you look at long-term opportunities it's certainly something to for people to you know take more than just a, a quick glance at i think it's something for people to look at you know Population-wise, it's uh, anticipated to double by 2050. So, I mean, you've got a lot of potential players there, and as the infrastructure comes into play, then you have that many more potential consumers to to bring bring your games to. Well, hopefully, people can kind of get that figured out. I mean, if there's been game developers there since the 90s, it sounds like there might be some opportunities to sort of find a, a partner out there, right? Because that was a, a big way that people started breaking into China a lot more successfully was development partners, figuring out, learning the local market that way rather than trying to brute force it from the outside. So it sounds like, you know, companies like Carry First and maybe some of the local developers would probably be the first point of contact for trying to really understand that market better, get this research going, figure that out. And, and hopefully that's something that a lot of these or, you know, potential game developers from the outside could take advantage of because, you know, I'm sure the African market would also love to have a lot of great games coming in that are fit to them specifically. And there's only so much infrastructure that's going to support that from the inside. So, you know, a mix of both 
probably a great thing. So, you know, if you're listening out there and you're interested in getting into that market, obviously, like you know, we, I, we've written some stuff and I think spoke to Carrie first and I know there's a, a lot of developers in there. So definitely take advantage of that. Get, get to know that market before everyone else does, because obviously, as we've seen, it turns into a, like a bit of a race as, as things heat up there. And obviously, if it's more fractured government, you may really have to understand the landscape to know what you can and can't do and where you can and can't do it and the payment systems and how you have to deal with the finances. And I can imagine it could be a mess until it could all get smoothed out. So definitely opportunity, but also a bit of a tricky, tricky playbook for those who want to navigate it. But uh, yeah, like definitely going to be interesting to see where that goes forward. Obviously, a lot of these things still have yet to fully develop and maybe hybrid casual will be the thing that breaks out over there and that'll be the their market. I don't know. I, we, we don't really know like what they like to play yet. So hopefully they'll, they'll figure that out. But I, I would imagine hybrid casual is probably an easy one to move over. So Voodoo could be looking at Africa as an opportunity. Mina in general, as you mentioned as well, like Middle East has definitely been getting very big into games. So a lot of opportunity in just the whole broader region. So we look forward to seeing that grow and I'm sure it will be lots of fun business stuff to talk about on that side from the games uh, industry. So we'll keep an eye on that. But in the meantime, of course, I want to thank you guys for showing up, especially Dave, who uh, is struggling through with this cold here. And uh, I think his voice is about to crack. He's going to be mute for the rest of the week uh, at this point. But I uh, appreciate you coming on, Dave, especially with the number of times you've jumped on here uh, lately and Matt as well. Um, Definitely. Thank you guys. And uh, as we get into the holiday season as well, of course, if you're uh, listening and a regular listener, make sure to be uh, saving your podcasts offline for if you're doing holiday, holiday traveling so you don't miss the episodes, right? So you can have them plane, car, wherever. If you lose internet, just want to you know give you, give you a heads up to start thinking about subscribing to where it auto downloads. You know, why not? They're, not? they're not big files. But uh, thanks for listening, of course, as usual, of course, as we start to wrap up towards the end of 2023, as I believe we may only have one more episode left this year, one or two, as we will be not having an episode during, I believe, the final week of December. So keep that in mind as well. But I'm sure we'll have more interesting news stories because this year doesn't seem to want to, to let up in terms of keeping things spicy. So we'll catch you guys on the next one, but we do at least have one next week. So we'll see you then. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.